I'm so thankful you're here, excited for what God's going to do. Um, I had somebody ask me earlier this week, like, what's your process for, like, developing sermons and, like, sermon series and stuff? And, and probably the majority of you are not interested in this, so I will keep it brief because it's boring. It's just straight up boring. And so I won't go too far into it, but uh, usually back in October of each year, I'm really um, thinking through what I feel like God has on my heart for this coming year. And uh, I'll usually develop about eight months of series uh, back in October, just based on reflection of what God did last year and where we're at as a church and kind of develop that. And, and then I hold those pretty loosely, like pretty open-handed, like, God, at any moment, it, do you want to change those? And so I had one that's been locked and loaded for a long time that was supposed to start next week. And I woke up this past Monday morning in like straight-up recovery mode for pastors after Easter. You can probably imagine what that's like. I'm just doing a lot of prayer walking on Monday, honestly, enjoying the beautiful weather. And uh, as I'm walking, I just feel like God's just like dropping uh, a word in, in my spirit and a series in, our, in my spirit, uh, simply called Here and Now. Here and Now. Because here's what I feel like for, for most of us is um, we spend our life not in the here and now. We, our brains, our, our hearts are always longing for something that's not here yet. Uh, and I think across the room, today in particular, what I want to talk about is purpose. Um, and we're going to talk about just this idea of here and now over the next uh, month, because I, I think God wants to teach us. God wants us to, to learn to embody his kingdom in the here and now. When I was young, I used to have this, this mantra, like a saying, like over and over again in my head, and, and it was this, um, I'm going to focus on tomorrow so that when tomorrow becomes today, I will be prepared when it's today. It was so stupid. It sounds good. It sounds really good, but it was so stupid because what I found in my life after having this mantra for probably a decade, I, I hit this point and like I found I was never living in the moment. I, I was always void of joy in the moment because I was always planning the next thing. I was always working out the five-year plan or planning the next thing I couldn't embrace this moment. I, I don't know if you ever feel like that with your kids or with your career or maybe the church or ministry. I don't, I don't know where you're at, but I, I find most of us, like we're, we're usually thinking about lunch right now. <laughs> You're thinking about how you're going to get to the beach. We're thinking about all these things, and we lose the present moment. But I find that, that God wants purpose for our life. And I think all of us, we want, we want purpose, but we, 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 it seems that purpose is elusive from most of our lives. Like, we want to know, like, why was I put on this planet? What's my purpose in life? And, and what if I just, what if I told you, like, it's way easier than what we think it is? What, what if our whole life, it's been right in front of us and we've, just, we've actually just missed it? And what a sad indictment if we live our entire lives and come to find at that time that our purpose was right in front of us. It was right under our nose the entire time. Uh, just if you don't know kind of much about our story, some of you have been around a long time, some of you are newer here. Uh, my wife and I moved here seven years ago. And uh, we moved to the city, not knowing anybody, and to start this church. And, and um, I, I remember talking with you, Lee, I mean, just not long after that. And you said, man, I've prayed for you. Like, you don't know how long I've prayed for a church that I can, I can call home. And he said, I've been praying for you for 12 years, is what you said. And at that time, your life was, looked completely different than what it is now. But you said that to me, and it, just, it was a resonating moment for me to just remember, like, man, like, there's purpose 
in this moment, in this move. And so we moved here to start the church. There was nine or ten of us in, in our home that began to meet and, uh, and grow. And I just love what God's uh, done over these past seven years. But we went off on a retreat before we launched our church. We went on this leadership retreat. And uh, there was like five or six of us that went. And if you're going to start an organization, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to start a church or something, what you think at least is like, I need a mission statement, right? Like anytime you're going to do something, you need a mission statement. Like you probably have one for your company or whatever. And so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around a mission statement. So I write one. I think it's pretty good. I've spent some time on it, a lot of prayer on it. I, I wrote it. And then we go to this retreat. And the first item on the weekend uh, uh, agenda is to dissect and critique our mission statement, like take it, come on, let's, let's look at every single word. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's just, maybe we don't want to use passionate. Maybe we want to use exuberant. I mean, we're just having these stupid conversations about words that are honestly, they're just as boring as they sound. Like it, it's, it's that boring. And so we have about an hour and a half of these conversations around this mission statement. And Pastor Caleb Kimbrough, who some of you know, who we were able to bless and send out in, in full-time ministry um, six years ago now almost, um, he was with us at, at the time, and, and uh, he, he just offered up. He said, isn't our mission really just our guiding scripture? Like, our guiding scripture is Matthew 28, 19, 20. It's, it's also known as the Great Commission that Jesus gave his disciples. He said, isn't that kind of our mission? And we're like, yeah, I mean, it's our guiding scripture. He's like, do we need anything else? And it was just like everybody. And when he said, do we need anything else? We just all were just kind of mad because we just spent an hour and a half on this and I had spent a lot more time than that. And it hit me like, this is a lot simpler than what we make it. Like, what if we don't have to come up with something on our own? Like, and there's purposes and layered purposes of our life, like in moments of purpose. But, but what, what if it's just as simple as Jesus said? Like, the mission he gave us, the co-mission with him is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus had ascended at the, uh, excuse me, he had resurrected at this point and was getting ready to ascend back to the Father, and he gives his disciples this mission so what if, what if the whole thing, it's, it's right in front of us? And, and we've been teaching this and, and training this over the past seven years, and I think we're, we're grabbing a hold of this more and more. I, I really take our, our church, I think it kind of goes along the life cycle of a child, a life cycle of a child, that I think we're like at six years old, like we're, we're, like we're grabbing some skills of what this means to walk this out here six years in. And we've been teaching this, uh, how to make disciples, just based off of, how we see Jesus doing that? We're like, oh, Jesus gave it to us. How does he do it? Well, he loves people right where they're at. We call that unconditional love. That's, that's what it is. No, he just loves them right where they're at. Authentic community is our second core value. Um, to, he invites them, follow me, invites them in relationship and spends every day with them, just pouring into them and correcting them. And there's this community that even when they fail, like, hey, we, we still love each other. We're going to keep moving forward. We see Jesus serving, we, we, kneeling down and putting a towel around his waist to be the servant of all. He said, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, he must be the servant of all. So we, we believe selfless service is a part of making disciples. That's our third core value. And then finally, we say it's divine vision. Like our pursuit is that we want to see every person in every situation, not with our natural eyes, but in the way that God sees them. I mean, we, we see with natural eyes, we want to see. So we are in this pursuit to see every situation as God sees it. Can we do that perfectly? No, but that's the pursuit of our heart and of our, our lives. And so we, we've been kind of using this 
this kind of simple method. And what I want to talk to you about today is really how to, how to make disciples in a real practical way and, and really how to find purpose. I guess my title for this sermon is A Practical Guide on Purpose. A Practical Guide to Purpose in, in Our Lives. And, and I want to talk about this with just four simple words. These are the four words that I felt like God dropped in my heart and led me to the text here in Acts chapter 8 that we're going to look at in just a minute. Four simple words. And you'll probably get annoyed of me saying them because I'm going to say them over and over again. Um, it's meet, pray, serve, invite. Meet, pray, serve, invite. I know you want to say it with me, so I'm just going to let you. Meet, pray, serve, invite. See, I knew you wanted to. Meet, pray, serve, invite. You're going to hear me say this a million times. I just want to, I want to dissect this and really see this simple thing. Like you, you've met people before. You've probably prayed before. You've served people before. You've probably invited someone to something before. These are things that are part of our life in a lot of different ways. And so I want to turn to the text in Acts chapter 8. Uh, before we do, I want to make sure you know context. Uh, Jesus has ascended to the Father in Acts chapter 1, and he, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, and, and the, the disciples feel empowered to do what God's called them to do, even probably still doubting in what they are able to do in God's Spirit. Uh, they are empowered by God's Spirit. And then what we see is this real kind of interesting dichotomy. We always kind of like glorify the early church, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the selflessness of that early church. They were sharing everything, and they were, but it was a mixed bag because there was also some selfishness. There was this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they were kind of being selfish uh, with their resources, and God struck them dead. So like, that was heavy. Um, so there's a mixed bag of selflessness and selfishness. Like, we know this time to be an incredible time of evangelism. Like, incredible time of evangelism. Like, you know, first it started with 12, and then to 72, and then like 140. Like, there's all these disciples coming. But in one day, they had 3,000 added to their number. Like, that's crazy evangelism in one day, in one Easter Sunday. Like, 3,000 people added to their number. But it was also a time in which the church saw a ton of persecution. And we see the first disciple martyred in Acts chapter 7. And so this time, the people are afraid. I mean, like what's going on in Sri Lanka, like what, what just happened in California in a synagogue. I mean, there's this kind of scaring because of like martyrs and, and those that are dying for their faith. Even if they're not willingly dying, they're just suffering in whatever way. There's this martyrdom that happens in chapter 7. In verse 8, as the people are scared, you know, kind of scared and they're scattering out. Verse 4 says this in Acts chapter 8, that the people scattered, but they continued preaching the gospel. They, they weren't slowed down by fear and anxiety and the scattering out. And my prayer for you as we turn to Acts 8, 26 to 40, my prayer for you is that as we scatter through this week, as we go to our different communities, as we go to our different homes and our different neighborhoods and jobs, my, my prayer is that we would take with us this mission. We would take with us this purpose that's right in front of us. It's right under our nose, and we'll keep trying to find it in the next promotion. We'll keep trying to find it in the next relationship, but it, the purpose is right under our nose if we'll just kind of open up and walk out these practical steps, what it takes to make a disciple. And we are invited into God's mission and the purpose that he has set for his church and his bride, that's us. And so I want to turn to Acts chapter 8 with all that set up, set up over. Let's dive into the text, Acts chapter 8. We'll begin with verse 26 uh, with a gentleman named Philip who's a disciple of Jesus and he's in Samaria and God calls him out from the budding ministry in Samaria 
to this desert road. Now an angel of the Lord, verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a, a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch, they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, approached, um, uh, appeared at Azotus and appeared and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I want to look back through this text and really teach um, from this text with just these four simple words, meet, pray, serve, invite. It all, it all starts with the meeting. It all starts with the meeting. He, he gets down to this place and Philip, you know, Philip had met Jesus on a road not too dissimilar from this in a time in which just a simple encounter and Jesus just said, follow me. Like, I, I love the simplicity of Jesus's words, like just, hey, come on. Not, hey, this is where I'm going. This is the master plan. This is the mission. Like, it's all laid out there. Like, I feel like when we were starting our church, I'm like, hey, here's everything laid out. Like, come, come follow me. There's like this relational aspect to follow me. Be one of my disciples. I, I think if we're going to meet people, and we talked about this last week, that the, the, we have hope because Jesus meets us where we're at. Just like he met Mary and he met Thomas and he met Peter where they were at. God meets us where we're at. That's our great hope. But when we go out to carry this purpose and mission to make disciples and to reach people around us in this purpose, we, we find ourselves um, wanting people to be somewhere else. You know, we'll, we'll, we don't embrace where they're at. And I think that's where this starts. We gotta, if we're going to meet people, we've got to embrace where they're at. Jesus met us where we were. Doesn't mean we want them to stay there forever, but most of the time with our siblings, with our, our parents or our friends or our spouses, like we want to embrace them. We just want them to be further along. And if they're like in the mess right now, we have difficulty embracing where, where they're at in the moment. We, we want to embrace some future version of themselves. This Ethiopian uh, fella, um, he, he was an, an interesting guy because one, we believe that he had come to know the Jewish faith. Obviously, he went to worship. He was a man of wealth. He was over the treasury. 
um, for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And Ethiopia at that time was huge. I mean, it was not like a small Ethiopia. I mean, even though Ethiopia is huge right now, it, it was huge. I mean, it covered like into Arab nations and, and like covered a, just a large stretch of what was considered Ethiopia at that time. So he was over a lot of money at that time. So he was a guy who had seen success in his life, yet all of his questions weren't answered. There were still questions of the soul that he saw it. And, and he, even now, he, he's found some religion, and, and he's going, and he's trying to do some practices, but, you know, he's, he's sitting there confused, and, and God had plans for this as he sends Philip to, to meet him where he's at. He didn't say, oh, this guy's going to come to you in Samaria. And he's like, no, no, down on the desert road in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to have, have something set up for you. So I think we got to embrace where, where people are at. If we're going to meet, if we're going to care at them, meet people where they're at. Love them where they're at. Uh, the second thing I think Philip does here, and I think we've got to do, is, is we've got to embrace the leading of the Spirit. Embrace the leading of the Spirit. When I was, right after we moved here, 2012, Taryn and I got an offer to go to a free marriage retreat at Sawgrass uh, in Ponte Vedra. And I was like, sweet, yeah, put us up a couple nights and we'll do the marriage thing. And like more than anything, we just want a night away from our kids. And, you know, to, to sleep and have good food. And, and so, um, anyway, so we did that. And one night we were coming out, walking out. And uh, there was two couples sitting out here. We knew no one at this conference. There was one couple over here sucking face pretty hard, um, making out in this kind of like a little cubby section. And over here, there was a couple that was just hanging out. And we're like, which, where do we want to sit? We're like, well, we chose the couple that's not all up on each other. And so, uh, and as we're walking up to this couple, I feel God drop it in my heart that this couple is in ministry and you're about to become friends. Like just boom, just like, and this happened multiple times before, but I just felt as we were walking there. And so I was like, okay, we're going to sit here and, and I'm not going to force it because usually I'm like super covert operations in pastor mode, just like keep it keep it on the deal until it comes out that I'm a pastor. And so we just have conversation and uh, uh, eventually we come to find out he's a pastor. She's a worship leader. They travel around the world with Ravi Zacharias, a, a leading apologist around the world. And, and uh, it, it was just a, a cool kind of encounter. And, and um, well, here's, what, here's what I know about embracing the leading of the Spirit is, is in that moment God was leading us and that relationship would end up, you know, we would exchange numbers and, and God would uh, end up kind of circling back, you know, them in, in our life in, in a profound way when they were going through a really tough time and we were able to, to serve uh, those, those couples, uh, that couple and that, that individual in a really profound way and are still uh, maintain that friendship. But it's just amazing as I think and I look around this room at, at things that were quote unquote chance encounters in your life and chance encounters in, in uh, lives of people in, in this church in which, uh, you know, you thought you were just going to the grocery store and it was just a random encounter. You thought you were going to, you know, the fast food restaurant. You thought you were going to the laundromat and it was just another day. But then there was this chance encounter in which someone told you what God was doing in their life. He, they told you about what, what God was doing at Fathom Church. And then that chance encounter wasn't an, a chance encounter at all. And that's what happens when you're on mission, when you live a life of purpose and you know there is purpose. You know that chance encounters aren't just chance encounters. There is meaning in them in our life. And so I would invite you to just keep in, in step with the Spirit, as Paul said to the church at Galatia. Keep in step with the Spirit. What is God doing in this moment? Know that He can lead and nudging those little burnings, those little promptings. They're, they're not for nothing. And that's all probably it was for Philip here. Hey, go, go stand by there. Like, why would I stand? We always want to ask the why question. 
And God just wants us to be obedient. It's, it's not for us to know. In fact, it'll be revealed. It'll be revealed if we'll just be faithful in that. God's going to blow our mind in how he will use us as a part of his plan to make disciples. And his mission, it is a co-mission with Christ to build up his church. The, second, or the third thing here is to embrace the transformation through the Spirit. I think when we begin to talk about meeting people and this whole conversation, right now there's probably pushback in the room and some of us have, but like, look, if you want me to go out and meet people, like I'm just not your guy. I'm not just not your girl. I'm not an extrovert. Like I'm not far enough along in my journey. Like I, I don't have the answers. Like I feel like I've got more questions than answers in my own life. And we, we've got all these reasons. And, and here's what, it, but if you want to live a life of perfect, purpose, you got to get over yourself. We make it about us. Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, if you've never read it, it's a great book. But the first sentence kind of sums it up. Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren. This is not about you. <laughs> How often do we, we, just, we, make, we make this purpose in life a, about us? What, what if it's not about us at all? Like what if like we're on a hunt that we're, it, it's right in front of us. It, it, it's, it's God's presence and the simple um, uh, obedience to the people that he's placed in front of us. And, and, and I just know, like, if we're going to live a life of passion and purpose and mission, then we got we to get it over ourselves. There's this, there's this tension between who we are and who we know we're called to be. And, and in that process, it's a transformation, change. Discipleship, following Jesus, equals change. If you've been a, a believer for a year or two or, or six months or 16 years or what, whatever it is, and, and you can't look back on transformation in your life, I would say you haven't been in a relationship with Jesus. Like, th- there is a transformation that comes along. Like, if you were good when you met Jesus, then you never came to encounter, like, your sinfulness and your brokenness. And it's from that place in which God changes us from, from the inside out. And so I would just invite you just to reflect. Like, just take a step back and just think about where you were. Six months ago, six weeks ago, six years. Think about where you were and how God has transformed your life and in continuing to embrace the transformation through the Spirit. It's not manipulation. It's not moral modification. It is the transformation through the Spirit in which our life begins to look more like Jesus, as we sang about earlier. Jesus said it way better than I did. For whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. Luke 9. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, and they will save it if you will lose it for his sake. I always think of an excavation. I've always found that interesting to look upon. I don't want to do it because it seems like really tedious. I don't have the patience for that. But um, it's this excavation process. that There is something beneath the surface. If we'll just take the time. Like, God, what are you doing? There's some digging that goes into that. There is some chipping away of hard, callous things that have been built up over time and some brushing away to see, wait a second. There's something under this. There is purpose. There is something significant that lies beneath the surface in all of us. Last couple things when it comes to meat. I just tell you to embrace what God's doing. I love how Philip didn't try to manipulate this situation. He was just being obedient, following the leading of the Spirit, and he just embraced what God was doing in this life, in this guy's life. He didn't, he didn't be like, oh, he didn't try to jump on the chariot. God just told him to stay next to the chariot. And then what happened, what's interesting is he was invited into the chariot. 
He didn't try to tell him whatever. He, he, he just basically said, hey, what do, you, what do you need, man? Like, do you understand? I mean, he just asked a simple but, but subtle question. We'll talk more about that. I would just tell you to embrace what God's doing. Um, and I think if we're going to embrace what God's doing, that means it's, we're going to have to confront and crucify selfish desires. We're, we're going to have to confront and crucify selfish desires because we always want to manipulate the outcome. We always want to tell God what he's doing as opposed to just being okay with God. What are you doing? What a, what a powerful question to just ask on a daily basis. God, what are you doing right now? Not like up in heaven, hanging out. What are you doing in front of me in the here and now? Here and now at my job, in the here and now in my marriage, in the here and now with my children. Like, what, what are you doing right now? You know, I'm not asking if he's playing video games or striking lightning bolts. I, I'm asking, God, what are you doing in the here and now in this moment? And can I align myself to that? And then the last thing I'd say here is, is embracing God's timing. I, this is one of the hardest ones. Like me and uh, with our kids, they always fight over the remote on whether we're going to watch Paw Patrol or basketball. Like Beckett wants to watch basketball and the little ones want to watch Paw Patrol. And there's always a fighting over the remote. And I feel like with us as adults in our relationship with God, we don't fight over the remote. We fight over the timing. We fight, fight over the clock. And, and I would just tell you, quit, quit fighting over the clock in your life. Um, Oh, me and the boys will wrestle from time to time, and most of the time I just whoop them and tell them who's boss, you know what I mean? Just like, come at me like that. But every once in a while, I'll let them kind of build some confidence, think they're beating me for a second. You guys know, I mean, dads know what I'm talking about. Let them think they're beating me for a minute, but at any moment I can take that thing back over. And, and us fighting over the clock, is that's how it is with us. Like, we think we're winning for a second, and then we've got control of it. And we're like, no, no, no. We're gonna, it's a losing battle. We're going to lose that, that wrestling match every single time. So just embrace it. Embrace God's timing. Embrace what God's doing. Embrace the transformation of the Spirit. And, and embrace the obedience to follow the Spirit and embrace where they're at. second thing I want to talk about is pray, because I think Philip is prayed up. He is living in a constant state of prayer here, which the Scriptures teach us to pray without ceasing. And that, that was like a hard thing for me to wrap my brain around. Some of you are like, pray without ceasing. Like, never stop praying, because when I think of prayer, it's like, there's a, hey, God, how you doing? And there's an amen. There's an amen to it, uh, to, to prayer. But the scriptures teach us to, to pray without ceasing, that, that our lives, that, uh, that our relationship with God is, is in a constant um, communication, back and forth. I'm listening, God. You know, I, I feel like a long time ago when Taryn and I, we were doing long distance for two years before we got married, Long distance for two years is a long time, in case you don't know. Um, but it was good. We really learned how to communicate um, and learned how to not communicate also. Um, but I remember in that time, we would just stay on the phone with each other until she fell asleep. <laughs> we would just stay on the phone because we, we, just, we just wanted to be close to each other. I wonder if, if some of us, if we would just stay on the phone with God. Maybe not going to hang up. It actually, it actually gets on my nerves when I watch TV shows. You guys will be watching this later. They never say bye on TV shows. It's like so rude. I'm like, you never say bye. But I feel like in my relationship with Taryn, when I think back on that, that, that I, I, never, I don't ever want to say bye. It's just like, hey, talk to you in a minute. You know what I mean? It's a praying without ceasing. And, and if we're going to live a life on purpose and a life on mission, we've got to have a, a constant state of prayer in our life. Because here's what prayer does. Prayer does two things. One is it prepares the soil. 
And I'm using uh, Jesus' parable of the sower here, where he says some of the, there's a, this, this man who went out to sow some seed, and some of it fell on rocky soil, and you know, it wasn't able to spring up, and some fell uh, on you know, hard soil, and the sun kind of baked it and scorched it out, and some fell among thorns, and it was choked out by the thorns. But some seed fell on fresh soil. This Ethiopian guy, he was fresh soil. And Philip was prayed up, and, he, and here's how we can do this, because prayer will prepare the soil of the person you're trying to minister to, you're trying to speak encouragement to, to your spouse, in which you've got to have a hard conversation to your boss that you're about to quit, or you're, you know what I mean? Like, God, God will prepare the soil as you pray, and say, God, it's just a simple prayer like this, God, will you prepare their heart for what you want to do right now? Will you soften up the soil? Will you break up the hard soil? Will you remove the thorns? And not me try to get in there and rip it all out and you know, beat it to death until it's softened. No, no, no. God, will you prepare that person for me to have that conversation? And, and then it not only prepares the soil, prayer prepares the sower. It prepares me. God, and it's just a simple prayer like this. God, will you help me to see this person in this situation like you do? Like, how, like my, my five-year-old can pray that prayer. Like, God, can you just help me see them like you see them? Can you help me see this as you see? That's divine vision. That, that's core value four. That's, that's who, who we want to be. But here's what I know. If we're going to live a life of purpose, we're going to live a life of mission, our lives must be drenched in prayer. Like, soaked in prayer every day, our lives drenched in prayer. Not a little bit, not a little bit on the weekend, not a little bit at small group. No, no, we don't hang up the phone. We're just, we're always listening. We're always just whispering up a prayer. Hey, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here talking to you. And sometimes we'll get those words and sometimes um, it'll, it'll be days or weeks between that, that time when God's speaking. Third thing is, is serve. I, I love how Philip is a disciple of Jesus. Like he's close to the action. He's heard more good preaching than anybody else out on this desert road. But he doesn't approach this chariot in order to like tell somebody something in order to teach somebody. He approaches this as a servant of the Lord, like just to get near this chariot. And he asks him this very simple but subtle question. Do you understand what you're reading? I think another way we could phrase that is, hey, how can I help? I mean, what if across this room, across Fathom Church and those that are watching online listening, what if we grabbed a hold of this and, and we just you know, act like we were working at Chick-fil-A all the time. Like, how can I serve you? I mean, what if we begin to see our life? Because here's, here's what I know in my own search for purpose. Like, you're never going to find purpose in yourself. You're not. This is, this is not about you. But, but what I do believe that living a, a life on purpose is spent serving others. Like, that's, that's a life of purpose is a life spent serving others. Um, this, and I think it's so beautiful that this eunuch, he invites him, this Ethiopian man invites him into, into the chariot. Like he didn't even have to ask. He didn't even have to force it. He just got in proximity and made himself available to serve. He made himself available. And here's what I would tell you in your life, that there's power in your proximity. There's power in your proximity. There's people right now in your home, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your church, in your row. Like there is a reason you're in proximity with the people you're in proximity with. And it's not to fix them. It's not to control outcomes. It's not to tell God when the timing is. It's just to be faithful 
and be available to serve. Hey, God, I'm, I'm listening, and I'm available. And I think if you'll just make yourself available and say, God, will you just soften? Would you make some soil around me that's softened, that I can scatter some seed of the good news of Jesus Christ? If we'll do that, if we'll wake up to that, I think God's just going to give us opportunities all the time. And, and it, it's one who sows, it's, it's another who waters, but it is God who makes it grow. That is what the scriptures teach us. And so we just want to be faithful with the sowing. We want to be faithful with the watering. God's going to be faithful to see that it grows. There's purpose in your proximity to not only serve others, but to learn from others. This Ethiopian didn't look out and think, oh, you dude on the street, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not inviting you into my chair. No, he actually invited someone into his life to speak into his life. And maybe some of us are in that place. We're, you know, we're not Philip in this story. We're, we're the Ethiopian in, in the chariot. And we're like, I need somebody to step up and step in. I'm going to invite you into my chariot. I'm going to invite you into my house. I'm going to invite you to coffee. And I'm like, I, I need somebody to explain this to me because I don't, I don't get it. Like, what, what if we're the Ethiopian and not Philip in the story? Because I'll tell you, if you're in proximity to people, they're there for one reason, to, for you to serve, for you to learn from it. And most time it's both. It's both. I, here's what I, I love about Philip is he doesn't withhold the good news of Jesus Christ. I've tried to really push it off for a while, um, but the reality is I'm a foodie. Like, I, I like food. I've, I didn't want to identify with that label, but the reality is I love food, and I know all the good spots in town, and I, you know, I just make it happen. I want to go eat some food. And so one of my favorite places in town, um, probably top five. You know, you got a top five in town? I got a top five. And my top five, and it's probably, on the, it's probably like number four, is this place called Biscotti's up in Avondale. Biscotti's is amazing. You might have been to Biscotti's. So good. Uh, up in Avondale. And all the food's pretty good. Um, it, it's kind of a date night place for us. It's a little, little pricier, not bad at lunch. Um, but then we'll go, uh, sometimes we'll eat Chick-fil-A and then we'll go there for dessert. You might, you know, that's the good, good stuff. And so everything's good at the restaurant, but one thing is like blow your socks off. You go back for this. And it's their bread pudding. Their bread pudding is to die for. It's like hot, warm coming out, and the ice cream's on it, like melting all over the plate. And it's just, it's uh, amazing. If you haven't tried it, you're welcome, Biscottis. I'll take a gift card or however you want to get that to me. Um, but uh, anyway, I love it. And, and here, I used to work in restaurants, and uh, and I always love to to help people avoid the things they don't want to try at the restaurant and make sure they get the good stuff. Like not the specials, not what they're advertising. They're trying to get rid of no the good the good stuff. What's on the menu that I can't miss out? If you go to this restaurant, you need to try the bread pudding. So many times in our life, we are not good servers. We're not good servers. Like we, we, we tell them the daily specials and, and we push whatever they're telling us to push, but we withhold the good, we hold, withhold the good news of Jesus. We, we meet their physical need and we'll hand out a sandwich and, and, and we fight for justice and we live a life of mercy and we should and will do and continue to do all those things. But we do, we do the people a disservice. We do the patrons a disservice in this world if we don't offer them the best thing on the menu. And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ. All of us are called to preach the gospel. And it, and it, does, it won't be the same way I am. And so you don't have to learn to write sermons. What you do have to do is to live a sermon. Live a sermon of a life that's been marked by being with Jesus and knowing the hope that we have in Jesus. That's what it means. St. Francis of Assisi said it like this. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. That's the life we're called to, to serve and to love people around us, their, their proximity, there's purpose in it. I'll wrap up here um, with the invite. 
And we talk about invitation a lot around church stuff because we invite people to church. Here's the statistics. I don't want to stay on this for very long. Here's the statistics. Uh, oh, and if you'll throw those up. Statistics for uh, just people that, that attend a church or come. Like, this is how they find out. This is how they, they connect. Um, 6% of people walk in on their own initiative. Some of you in the room, you, you just walked in. You drove by. And like, oh, cool. I'll check it out. Walked in on your own initiative. 5% liked a, a program or offered. These are general statistics, not here statistics. You like the program we offer, heard you had groups, heard you had students, heard you had kids ministry. You like the pastor, that number's probably lower here. Um, 8%, uh, 3, 3% had a need met by the church, someone helped them, you know, fed them, and then, hey, I'll come, I'll come check it out. 1% were evangelized. 1% somebody gave them the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It is said the statistic is that uh, every believer will um, lead one person to the Lord in their entire life. One person. That's, that's the average. One person. Their whole life. One percent were evangelized. And 77% were invited by a friend or relative. And, and I know as we talk about this, we, you know, I'm not, I'm not an invite, Pastor. Is this whole message about inviting people to church? I'm like, no, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. We talked about it last week that we get obsessed with our public pronouncement platforms and we love these kind of impersonal invitations. And I think there's effective and there's ineffective invitations. And I, I think the ineffective invites are impersonal. The effective invites are personal. When the story, when the gospel has hit home and then I share out of my own experience, out of my own hopelessness, out of my own brokenness, and I can share what God has done in my life. That's, that's the effective invites, which I reach out to people that I know and tell them about what God's done in my life. Um, and I think a lot of us, we're, we're, we're more focused on, on kind of the in game and like trying to control the outcome and results and all that stuff. And, and I think the invite's different for everybody. I think the invite's different for everybody. I think there's a lot of different ways you can invite someone. It's not just inviting them to church. Like here, here's some invites for you. Invite them to have a meal together. Hey, you want to come over for dinner? Hang out? And then it just happens to come up a conversation what God's done in your life. Uh, invite them to, hey, can I pray for you? Like, you want to pray for me? Like, about what? Like, I don't know. What do you want me to pray about? You know, just put an honest question. Like, hey, can I, can I pray for you? Invite them to reach out. Hey, here's my number. If you ever need anything, I, I'm here for you. Invite them to reach out. Invite them to an event. That's fine but never cease and hold out on the invitation to receive the free gift of salvation because that's what it is. It's a gift. So no man can boast. It's a gift. It's a gift. We just offer that gift and it's not us that offers it. It's Christ that gives it, but we just tell them about the free coupon in, in order to get, you know what I mean? Taryn was showing me some, hey, like Lowe's is giving away coupons. I'm like, cool. Like it's, it's, a, it's offering the free gift that, that, that Christ offers us, that God offers us. I, I love this story. There's so many compelling things about this story, but I, I love how ready this Ethiopian guy was. In this moment, like he was just driving. He was just going along his business. He was reading his scroll, trying to figure it out. And he hears the good news of Jesus, and, and he sees some water, and he's like, stop the boat, man. Stop the chariot. Like, what's going to prevent me from getting that tub right now? What's going to prevent me from getting in, in that water right now and being baptized? So when God's in it, like, there's nothing any of us can do to stop it. And I think if I talk about anything, I, I just want to say, keep the phone open, make yourself available, and don't get in the way of what God's doing. Be a part of what God's doing. 
be a part of what God's doing. And I know some of you in this room, you feel like you're the Ethiopian right now, and I feel like this is a moment in which some of us, like, our hearts are burning, and we know, like, this is a moment in which we need to stop the chariot and get out and and have this moment of declaration and baptism. Maybe you plan to do that already today. Maybe you came in here today and, and had no thought to be baptized, but this is a moment in which you declare, I'm a new creation in Christ, and I've made this decision to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're searching for purpose, but I think it's right up under our nose. If we'll just embrace it, not go searching to say, I think that's good enough. God, I just want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And God's going to reveal some things as that you, your soul gets excavated, as your gift and, and who you are gets excavated. God's going to reveal some things hidden beneath the surface. But ultimately, he has invited us into his mission and his purpose in the world to redeem mankind to himself. The moments matter. Proximity matters. So I just invite you to meet, to pray, to serve, and invite figure out what that invitation that needs to be and be faithfully obedient with it. Will you stand? And I want to pray with you and give you just a few short instructions as this team is going to lead us in, uh, lead us in worship this morning with the old song, I've Decided. And if, the, if maybe you've already made that decision, we can just declare this decision uh, today in song. And uh, maybe you're in here today and, and you say, hey, I want, to, I want to stop the chariot and I want to get out and I want to celebrate this today. I, I, I want to be baptized and and make, go public with the faith that I've declared in my heart. If that's you, is this, our kids are going to come in and worship with us during this song and be a part of our baptism celebration. Uh, if that's you during this song and you say, hey, today's my day, Pastor. I'm stopping the chariot. I'm getting out. Uh, Jason's right back there at the door. And if you'll just slip out and prepare yourself for that, we are going to come and, and, uh, up with you here in just a moment and celebrate with you in baptism. But if you will, call across this room. If you'll bow your head. If you'll bow your head with me and let's pray in this moment right now. God, all across this room, we're searching, God, and we're trying to find it is. What, what, what do you want from us, God? What do you require of us? God, help us just to give our whole heart to you. Everything, all that we have, God, just surrendered for the, your kingdom and for your glory, God. Let us not be in the way of what you want to do. God, for those right now who have made a confession of faith in their heart but not publicly declared it through baptism, God, I pray in this moment that we can celebrate with them joyously as heaven celebrates with them, God. God, and as we close this time, if no, if there's people in this room that have not made a decision to follow you with their whole life, I pray they'd make that decision in this moment, God. We celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen.